0: And encouragement it is my sincerest hope that the reflections that you will hear today on this broadcast will truly touch your heart and in a way show you that your life is worth living hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen presents I'm your host Al Smith and I want to thank you for joining me for Uh, this golden opportunity to learn our faith together and uh, we are blessed to have these quality recordings that have been given to us to share all over the world and uh, each week we have a few new radio stations come on board to uh, share uh, the wisdom of Archbishop Sheen and we want to of course uh, say hello to our uh, new friends at uh, Catholic Community Radio Um, Again, the beautiful folks in New Orleans and uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, Again, it is great to have you uh, here enjoying the broadcast each week. And of course, our good friends all over the world through Radio Maria have, uh, of course, uh, helped so many people to come in love with the Church and, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary and our Blessed Lord. Uh, And again, for all our friends in Australia the Philippines, the United Kingdom, Nigeria, Canada, and the United States. Again, a warm welcome to you all. Today, my good friends, I will share with you two reflections from our extensive archives of Archbishop Sheen recordings. And uh, today, Fulton Sheen will talk about children and reference them as either a burden or a joy. And, of course, this was the topic he discussed on his television series, Life is Worth Living, back in the 1950s. And so we'll share that reflection with you today. Again, it is titled, Children, Burden, or Joy? And, of course, our catechism lesson will have um, just a beautiful tie-in. It is lesson number 39. Uh, it is titled Birth Prevention, and I think that is always uh, what I like to say the sensitive topic uh, when discussed amongst our friends, but uh, Fulton Sheen wasn't afraid to talk about that and especially teach it in his catechism lesson. So I am sure as you listen to the wisdom of Fulton Sheen, uh, you will understand the Church's uh, teaching and uh, just how the Church, out of love, continues to uh you know, share these timely messages. And uh, again, the Church will never be fully accepted (laughs) by society. I like to say there will always be a resistance uh, to the Church and her teachings. Uh, But Fulton Sheen was uh, brave and uh, continues to, uh, you know, preach the truth in season and out of season. And so we'll share some of that truth today. So uh, without further ado, may I present to you Archbishop Sheen, As he presents from his television series Life is Worth Living, a reflection titled Children, Burden or Joy. Please enjoy.
1: Friends, some time ago we received a letter from New England from a mother who named a baby after me. Fulton is now four years of age. One day the mother calls him, shouts for him, searches for him, cannot find him, nor the little baby sister, aged one. Finally, the mother goes to the garret, and she finds the little boy dressed up with his coat and hat on, suitcase in his hand. And she said, Where are you going, Fulton? He said, I'm going to New York to see Bishop Sheen. I was named after him. And the mother said, What have you got in the suitcase? He said, My little sister, she's going too. And that set me thinking about sometimes how much trouble children can be. So I might tell you at the beginning how much trouble they are and then say something really good about them. They are, of course, a great trouble. I know one mother who used to lock herself in the playpen. It was the only way that she could ever get peace. (laughs) And I also know of a wife who had an alcoholic husband or one who had a tendency to be alcoholic. And she was always amused at night to see her husband get up and go for a bottle and never take a drink himself. (laughs) And then it seemed he was always so ready and so prepared to serve someone else a drink. (laughs) Then in addition to that, we notice very often at baptisms how awkward men are when they hold a baby. Did you ever watch a man when a woman says to him, hold the baby, Bill? They never know what to do with a baby. A man's hands were never meant to hold a child. Somehow or other, their hands are like cranes. A child is always in transit. They pick the child up here and they wonder where they can put the child down. And they have various ways of holding a child. Uh, Some hold children like cocktail shakers. to have and to hold. (laughs) And then there are others who hold children like (laughs) footballs. And they're always looking for an opening to get rid of the ball, too. (laughs) Uh, Then there are are others who always regard this little bundle as a kind of a mystery. They never know which end, where is it, if something was in here (laughs) when it was handed to me. And in addition to that, of course, the crying of children. What a trial that is. Ever notice how their eyes get smaller? Their little nose has almost become a button, but the mouth. (laughs) That is really tremendous. And now, when I talk about crying, I am on a very sensitive point here. Because I believe that I was the original and only Prince of Wales. hate to meet relatives and friends who knew me as a baby, because tradition has it, and tradition must be respected. Tradition has it that I cried for the first three years of my mortal life, honestly. That's how I got the name of Fulton. I was baptized Peter, and I cried and cried so much I was a constant burden to my father and mother, and to get a little relief, they used to take me to my grandparents, whose name was Fulton. So I got to be known as Fulton's baby, and that's where I got the name. (laughs) Now, those are some of the bad things about children. Perhaps it might be well now to say something really good about them. And I can think immediately of three good things to say about them. First of all, children rescue love, From boredom, and secondly, children are the resurrection of beauty and strength, and thirdly, children reveal the mystery of fatherhood and motherhood. First of all, children rescue love from boredom. Love can be boring. It can produce ennui. It might happen very well, that when there are only two who love, that love could be something like this, nothing but an exchange of egotisms from one to the other. Duality and love can be death. That is why in the romance of love, Lovers always speak of our love. As if there was something outside of the sum of the love of both of them. They will even speak of it as something bigger than ourselves. Something that holds them together. That is God. For those who are blessed with children, it is the children so that there is here a veritable communion of love between father, mother, and child. And that is one of the purposes of children. How dull, for example, life would be if a a musician were always picking up a violin and a bow and never producing a melody. Or a sculptor were always picking up a chisel and applying it to marble and never creating a statue. Or a poet put pen to paper never wrote a musical line. I wonder if the farmer would not go mad. If a short time after he had planted the seed in the springtime, if he immediately dug it up and never waited for the fruit and for the harvest. no woman that ever goes into a garden, and just as soon as the buds begin to appear in the spring, cuts off the buds. Love by its very nature wants to bear some fruit, and thus it saves itself from that duality and comes near to that trinity which is the very essence of love, even the love of God himself. For well, that is triune. And those who deliberately frustrate it have been written about by the poet Davidson, who wrote, Your cruelest pain is when you think of all the honeyed treasure of your body spent. And no new life to show. Is then you understand how people lift their hands against themselves and taste the bitterest of all punishment of those whom pleasure isolates. When darkness, silence, and the sleeping world your vision scope, you lie awake and see the pale, sad faces of the little ones who should have been your children. as they pressed their cheeks against your windowpane, looking in with piteous wonder. Homeless, famished babes denied your wombs and bosoms. But when love escapes this Mere exchange of egotisms like two sailors shipwrecked on an island who supported themselves by taking in one another's washing.
2: <laughs>
1: then love is rescued from that dullness and tiresomeness because life has found its meaning. And love is then discovered to be not like that of the serpent but always lives in exactly the same plane. Love then begins to be like the bird that has an ascension of love and begins to taste its sweetest moments in the higher moments of flight. Such is the first purpose of children, and the second is the resurrection of beauty and strength. In our time, it is very common for people to think that beauty and strength can be continued in their own generation. God never intended that they should. after all, beauty and strength were given to us to serve as purposes of allurement. And that is why they are most manifest only at that age when the family ought to begin to be founded. Strength is not an enduring quality. And neither is beauty. In fact, there isn't anything that is perhaps quite as repellent to good sense as to see men grow old and yet try to appear as they were sophomores in college with their crew (laughs) cuts. Manifesting an immaturity and attempting to preserve that strength which is already gone. And so it is with, with women attempting to keep a beauty of 19 and 20, which is impossible to keep, no matter how they advertise, even this way, the solution of the problem has not been found. There was once an advertisement in a beauty parlor that read, Water rusts pipes. What will it do to your face? <laughs> And even after marriage, the man who was thought to be so strong, particularly when he made end runs in a football game on Saturday afternoon, is asked to take down the screens for the winter. And he says, what are you, a cripple? (laughs) And then the beauty and the baby talk that he once thought was so cute, well, that begins to get on his nerves. Now, the answer is not to be cynical because God intended that beauty and strength should be preserved, but not in our generation, but in another. And hence, when the boy is born, the father begins to revive in all of his strength. And then in the language of the poet Virgil, from my heaven descends a worthier race of men. And then as the daughters are born the wife begins to revive in all of her beauty. And thus, beauty and strength are carried on to another generation. And the chalice of father and mother is so overflowing now with their mutual love that they can look to another generation and see themselves strong and see themselves beautiful. and those who were begotten of their love. And then all of the children become as so many beads in a rosary of love and chaining them in that sweetest of all slavery, which is the love of a family and the happiness of a home. I might make one exception about people who are no longer 18, crimping and dressing up. I read the other day in a Detroit paper about a woman 86 years of age who every Tuesday night crimps her hair, puts on her best dress, and she says, I'm going to listen to Bishop Sheen. (laughs) God love you, wherever you are. (laughs) Then, of course, fathers have worries when the boys are strong. Just think of the worries of a father who has only girls. (laughs) And here is a magnificent poem by Ogden Nash. He has entitled it, A Song to be Sung by the Father of Infant Female Children. (laughs) My heart leaps up when I behold a rainbow in the sky. Contrary-wise, my blood runs cold when little boys go by. For little boys as little boys. No special hate I carry. But now and then they grow to men, and when they do they marry. No matter how they tarry, eventually, they marry. And swine among the pearls, they marry
2: little (laughs) girls.
1: Oh, somewhere, somewhere, an infant plays with parents who feed and clothe him. Their lips are sticky with pride and praise, but I've begun to loathe him. Yes, I loathe with a loathing shameless the child who to me is nameless. The bachelor child in his carriage gives never a thought to marriage, but a person can hardly say knife before he will hunt him a wife. (laughs) I never see an infant male sleeping in the sun. Without I turn a trifle pale and think, is he the one? Oh, first he'll want to crop his curls, and then he'll want a pony. And then he'll think of pretty girls and holy matrimony. (laughs) He'll put away his pony and sigh for matrimony. A cat without a mouse is he without a spouse. Oh, somewhere he bubbles bubbles of milk and quietly sucks his thumbs. His cheeks are roses painted on silk, and his teeth are tucked in his gums. But alas, the teeth will begin to grow and the bubbles will cease to bubble. Given a score of years or so, the roses will turn to stubble.
2: <laughs> he'll
1: sell a bond or he'll write a book, and his eyes will get that acquisitive look. And raging and ravenous for the kill, he'll boldly ask for the hand of Jill. <laughs> the infant whose middle is diaper still will want to marry my daughter Jill. <laughs> Oh, sweet be his slumber, and moist his middle. My dreams, I fear, are infanticidal. A fig for embryo loin grins. I'll open all his safety pins. I'll pepper his powder, salt his bottle, give him readings from Aristotle.
2: <laughs> I
1: love that line. Sand for his spinach. Sand for his spinach I'll gladly bring, and Tabasco sauce for his teething ring. And an elegant, elegant alligator to play with in his perambulator. (laughs) Then perhaps he'll struggle through fire and water to marry someone else's daughter. (laughs) All that applause belongs to Ogden Nash. And finally... The child reveals the mystery of fatherhood and motherhood. Love is never satisfying when one feels that he has hit bottom. When there are no veils to be lifted, no doors to be opened, no new pages to be turned. It is then that some look for substitutes. And in vain does one think that by picking up a series of violins, he will produce the melody of life. Rather, the great joy of life comes from deepening a mystery. And a child deepens a mystery. First of all, the child makes a husband a father. And a fatherhood is a refraction of divine paternity, from whom all fatherhood and all blessings come child that is taught to pray our Father who art in heaven is also the one who understands my Father who is in his home. And then too the child makes the wife a mother. A woman is truly a mother when she brings to creation the gifts of God. The word of a woman is fiat, submission, the communication of life man cooperates with nature, but a woman cooperates with God. And it is the child that makes her a mother. And then, when the child makes both, he produces fathercraft and mothercraft. Oh, you parents, you realize that your children are given to you with so much plastic clay. You are to mold them with your own hands. In juvenile court, you say, I can do nothing with my child. But did you ever do anything for him? When every child is made a crown, it's made for that child in heaven. More woe betide the parents, but there's not a head for that crown. You remember the story of Leonardo da Vinci, who painted once the Christ child, many years later, the Last Supper? He searched for someone who would represent Judas and lo and behold, it turned out to be the one who had posed for the Christ child. Something can happen to children. There's not the art and the science, the fathercraft and mothercraft in the home. And then the parents will bring them to be generated anew, to be christened, so that they are not only their children, they become the children of God. We'll teach them about their guardian angels. And will teach them to say, angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side. To light, to guard, to rule and guide. I'm not the only one who has an angel. I'm the only one who admits it publicly. <laughs> and you may wonder now, why should I talk on children, I who have forfeited all of this by my life? Well, because it is also possible to impress the images of mind and spirit upon other people, as well as the image of a body. And it is my life to try to impress the image of a spirit upon others, to beget them in God. And I wish that I had thousands and thousands of more children in God.
0: Well, my dear friends, I hope you enjoyed that first reflection from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And uh, I think many of you, of course, have already subscribed to a number of Sheen podcasts. And um, again, I think I want to recommend everyone, if you haven't done so yet, please do so. Uh, you'll find me at the School of Sheen or Bishop Sheen Presents podcast. And um, Again, all of those great social media outlets, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, they all carry the podcast. So just Google Bishop Sheen Presents and you be able to uh, subscribe to our weekly podcast. So if you miss an edition uh, or two, you can catch up. Uh, I know that we have over 300 audio recordings on uh, a number of these podcasts. Um, um, platforms I like to say and so uh, please subscribe to one of our uh, many podcasts again it's either the School of Sheen or Bishop Sheen Presents and uh, of course who are loving the uh, website that we set up many years ago uh, it's simply titled com. and if you visit vi- com, you'll see that we have it set up into three sections uh, there's the watching Sheen section where you can watch, you know, hours and hours of Sheen's television shows uh, by season. Um, we got season one, season two, season three. Um, you can watch them for hours. They're all there, uploaded uh, to uh, the Internet, and you can watch them for free. Uh, so, again, the watch Sheen uh, section of the website. Uh, there's the listen to Sheen Uh, section of the website where you can listen to podcasts such as this and we have hundreds of those um, uploaded and you can listen to those for free and then we have uh, a Read Sheen section where you'll see the list of the 66 books that Fulton Sheen wrote and uh, we have some free digital downloads in that section and we also have a beautiful bookstore Uh, that uh, features many of the uh, classic Sheen writings, uh, the the books that you've come to know and love. And so they're available for purchase, and uh, again, every book that you purchase helps us. Uh, We, of course, make a little bit of profit from each book, and that, of course, helps us to pay for radio airtime and other expenses here at Bishop Sheen today. And we actually have a charity book program, uh, and you'll see that on the website. And uh, people uh, will give us a $20 donation, and we in turn will send them a book of their choice. And uh, we'll ship the book all over the world. So to those listening in Australia, we can ship books to Australia. To those uh, listening in the United Kingdom, we can ship books there. To those listening in Canada and the United States, we can ship books to you there. Uh so again a $20 donation and we will send you a book and there are I think there's a list of 30 uh 34 titles of of books you can choose from. So again the charity book uh program at bishopsheen today. So again that website bishopsheentoday.com and of course we've partnered with uh, many great publishers such as Sophia Institute Press and Tan Books and uh they've given us discounts um there's a 25% discount for everything that Sophia Institute Press sells uh, when you just use a promo code of Sheen25 uh, when you check out, and uh, the good folks at Tan Books are giving a 15% book discount on all of their books. So, uh, and you'll just use the promo code Sheen when you check out there. So, and that's all. Um, all that information's on the website Bishop Sheen today.com. And so, uh, you know, again, <laughs> uh, just go there and you'll, 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 you'll be educated on Sheen. That's for sure. Again, read Sheen, listen to Sheen, uh, watch Sheen. Uh, it's all there at BishopSheenToday.com. All right. It's now time for our catechism lesson. And, uh, Archbishop Sheen is going to give a talk titled Birth Prevention. And again, it's uh, number 39 in our series of 50 lessons, and so uh, he's covering all the bases, that's for sure. And so without further ado, may I present to you one of the greatest communicators of our time, uh, the Venerable Archbishop Sheen, as he gives us his catechism lesson. Please enjoy.
1: Peace be to you. The subject about to be discussed is birth control. The words are not very proper, first of all, because those who believe in it actually believe neither in birth nor in control. Therefore, we shall never use the words again. They are finished. We propose first to answer one or two objections or false philosophies about the subject of the purpose of marriage. The first is this. Married couples will often say we cannot afford more children, therefore we have a right to fumble with the levers of life. Those who make a statement of this particular kind probably never think of the terrible principle that they are enunciating, namely the primacy of the economic over the human. Now, just suppose one put that into practice in other walks of life. Suppose a family had five children, but they had enough money to buy only four hats. Do you think that they would be permitted or should be permitted to cut off the head of a child in order to bring the economic to the level of the human? and the human to the level of the economic? Suppose a husband says that he can no longer support, it, support his wife. Ought he be entitled to shoot her? What is forgotten here in giving the primacy to the economic is that we receive blessings as we put ourselves in the area of God's love. A waif on the street does not receive food, clothing and shelter as a child in a family because that wafer is outside of the environment of love. So too, to the extent that we put ourselves outside of the environment and the area of God's love, we exclude those divine assistances that would otherwise come to us. Those who put the primacy upon the economic Are really not interested in saving or earning. They are interested in spending. And it is that which dictates the frustration of life. There's a brood of idle passions and a desire for more credit and more clothes and more selfishness which dictates their philosophy. They believe that they are free, therefore as we said, to manipulate life apart from God's laws because it is only Catholics that are bound by the laws of fruitfulness of marriage. So they say that Catholics are opposed to any frustration of human life in marriage. That indeed is true. But It must be remembered that those who are not Catholics are no more free to violate God's natural laws than anyone else. It just happens that the Church is defending here a natural law. And because we are about the only ones who are defending it, there are some who are led into the error of believing that the opposition to the frustration of love is purely and solely a Catholic doctrine. We could conceivably reach a stage in the world where Catholics alone might believe that two and two make four and that grass is green in the springtime. These are principles that belong to the natural order. So is the principle that marriage is destined to be fruitful. Just suppose that a vast majority of people went around with their eyes blindfolded and their ears plugged up. We would very soon have a papal encyclical which would oppose that. And the church would say, it is not right to blindfold your eyes or to plug up your ears. Does not reason, does not the natural law tell you that the eyes were made for seeing and that the ears were made for hearing? Therefore, you must allow these organs to work out the function for which God created them. There indeed would be many that would say, Oh, the Catholic Church is opposed to eye control. The Catholic Church is in opposition to ear control. Certainly. Because reason tells us why these organs were made. So too a husband and wife were made in a certain way, and God created male and female in a certain way. And therefore these organs are to be permitted to function according to the way that God made them. What are we going to make this world? A universe in which we pick up violins and bows and never produce music? A universe in which sculptors pick up chisels and never touch them to marble in order to create a statue? Are we going to have trees blooming but never any fruit? Signposts that lead nowhere? Is life and love to be reduced to a kind of an epidermic content and contact without any fruit or purpose? But that is all negative. We must always take the positive position. And on this particular subject of the fruit of love, we will describe and enunciate two sublime teachings. One, love in marriage creates the deepest kind of unity. And secondly, that deep unity of love by its very nature tends to an incarnation we said that love in marriage creates the deepest kind of unity of love we might also say by the way that this particular point that we are to develop proves also that there is not to be a union of sexes outside of marriage Have you ever noticed that Scripture nowhere speaks of marriage in terms of sex? But always in terms of knowledge. Why is that? Well, first of all, let us prove the point. The book of Genesis, for example, said, And now Adam had knowledge of his wife Eve, and she conceived, had knowledge of her. When the angel Gabriel announced to the Blessed Mother that she was chosen to be the mother of our Blessed Lord, she asked, How can this be since I have no knowledge of man? Notice here that there was no question of the ignorance of conception but of some deeper mystery. So St. Paul says, Husbands, possess your wives in knowledge. Why is marriage spoken of as knowledge? Well, for this reason. Because uh, one of the closest forms of unity in the natural order is that which comes from knowledge. You look out on a flower or a tree. You know these things. They enter into your mind. There begins to be a unity and the closest kind of unity in the natural order between the knower and the thing which is known. You cannot think of anything more close And the union of your mind and that which you know. So sacred scripture compares marriage to knowledge because marriage produces a unity and it demands fidelity. When a man knows a woman there is a unity that is created between the two That is light to the union of the mind and that which is known. That unity is so close, so intimate, that it may be known, may be used rather over and over again, but it never again may be reacquired. They are two in one flesh. From that point on there is nothing that happens to a woman that does not happen to the man that made her a woman. He made her a woman. She made him a man. Just as you are always indebted to the one that gave you the knowledge about Shakespeare namely your alma mater. So too one is always indebted to the one that created that unity between the two. The resulting psychic changes indeed are great, but they're great also in the order of the body. The woman can never again return to virginity. The man can never again return to ignorance. Something has happened to make them one and from that oneness comes fidelity so long as either has a body. They can never put themselves back into a state that they had before. Therefore, it is not just an experience. It is a bond that continues to exist as long as life itself. Now in married couples, this union is very deep. And that brings us now to our second point that all love tends toward an incarnation. Thus far we have spoken of the love of husband and wife creating a deep bond of unity, unity of love. Now we want to show that this love naturally tends to diffuse itself. Everything that is good Diffuses itself. The sun is good. It diffuses itself in light and heat. The flower is good. It diffuses itself in perfume. Animals are good. They diffuse themselves in the generation of their kind. Man is good. His mind is good. And his mind diffuses itself in thoughts. God is good. God diffuses himself not only in creation but from all eternity. God has an eternal son. The source of all generation is in God. Let not therefore husband and wife be told that procreation is an imitation of the beasts of the field. It is rather an imitation of God who from all eternity has an eternal son. The son to whom he can say in the agelessness of eternity thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. This day without beginning nor end. Now this The power of generation, which is eternal in the Godhead, is communicated to man's mind. It is communicated to the body of a husband and to the body of a wife. As God himself said, shall I, that make others bring forth children, myself be barren? Therefore, the power of generation, is not a push from below. It is a gift from above. Not only do we find, therefore, that the motive power of begetting children is in the Trinity, but it is also in the Incarnation, because all love ends in an Incarnation. Even God's. God so loved man that he became
2: enfleshed
1: in the human nature. What is our blessed Lord but God's love incarnate? God's love walking this earth in the form and habit of man. You see how beautiful love is. If one could give a definition of love in the light of the Trinity and the Incarnation, it might be that love is mutual self giving which ends in self recovery. It is mutual self giving because no one is good unless he gives. But if love were just mutual self giving, it could end in exhaustion. Therefore, Love is a mutual self-giving which ends in self-recovery. In the Trinity, there's the giving of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Holy Spirit, and there is the self-recovery in the sense that the Trinity, I mean the Holy Spirit, is the bond that unites Father and Son. Unity of love. And so too it is with husband and wife. There is a mutual self-giving of husband and wife and that mutual self-giving ends in self-recovery, which is the child. The thrill of a farmer as he sees a grain of wheat he planted coming into life. And the joy at seeing seeing a geranium bud in a tinful of earth on a tenement window sill. The ecstasy of a saint at seeing a sinner dead in sin responding to prayer and beginning to live in Christ. All of these are earth's witnesses to the inherent happiness that comes to anyone who sees life springing and sprouting or borning. Love does not mean just the joy to possess. It means to the will to see a new life born out of that love. To see someone created in one's own image and likeness. And what is the child then? Well, the child becomes the bond of union between the husband and wife. And the child unveils fatherhood and the husband, and motherhood. There's a new relationship created. Not only did the father make her, his wife, a mother, but the child made him a father. You see, love becomes a kind of an ascension from the sense plane and goes back again to God. The children are almost like beads in a rosary, binding together the love of husband and wife. Love always demands something unrevealed. It flourishes only in mystery. No one ever wants to hear a singer hit her highest note, nor to hear an orator tarry passion to tatters, to very rags, One never wants to see the infinite denied or life's urge still or a passion glutted. One wants to see an unfolding and enrichment and enfleshment of love. And that is what happens in marriage when there are children. One distinct mystery after another is unfolded. There is the unfolding of the mystery of the body. And there begins to be the unfolding of a new mystery, the mystery of motherhood and the mystery of fatherhood. And then when the children have to be trained, there comes the mystery of fathercraft and mothercraft. New areas of exploration are opened up. And there's never dullness. a husband after a time may become dull to the wife and the wife to the husband but when the children are born the first boy well he begins to be the new life of the husband all over again and the wife becomes very pretty once more and the daughter and as each child is born they bind together husband and wife, as a reflection of the binding love of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. And then because each child has a soul to save, then there becomes an awakening of sweet responsibility in the father and the mother. As uh, Khalil Gibran wrote, When he spoke of children, he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, Let your end bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. That is the story of life. God sets up the target. You are the bow and your children are the arrows. They have a messianic mission. In your life, they represent the conquest of love over the ego. They symbolize the defeat of your selfishness. They represent the victor of victory of charity. Every child begets sacrifice, tends toward an incarnation, and every child becomes for you a pledge of your own salvation. And how happy you will be on Judgment Day, when God says to you, your love has borne fruit. And if God did not bless you with children, in any case, you can always rejoice that you never buried love
2: in a napkin. You sent it back again to God, from which it came.
0: You are listening to Bishop Sheen Presents here on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for this opportunity we have each week to learn our faith. I know sometimes the topics can be sensitive and uh, a little bit controversial, uh, but the Gospel is controversial. (laughs) Uh, The Lord came not uh, necessarily to bring peace, but uh, division. And uh, sometimes we will be presented with uh, things that maybe not sit well with us. But still, uh, the Church and her wisdom know what's best for us. And so uh, Fulton Sheen uh, didn't uh, mince any words in that uh, reflection he gave on birth prevention. So again, it is part of a 50-lesson series that Fulton Sheen put together in the 60s. And of course, still available today. Uh, you can Google the Sheen Catechism, and you'll find the 50 lessons, and you can uh, download them for your own personal use. And uh, this catechism is still used today, and so um, again, it is uh, a fan favorite, I like to say. Uh, Fulton Sheen has a way of teaching the faith that is uh, both, uh, I just want to say, easy to understand, uh, but yet it's by a trusted soul. I I listen to Fulton Sheen, uh, his soothing voice, his uh, candor, Um, He just kind of just puts us at ease. Uh, He is that parish priest that has come into our life, uh, that has helped us. And, you know, when I think of the description of what a good parish priest is, uh, a good parish priest is uh, someone who brings Jesus to the people and in turn brings the people to Jesus. And I think this is what Fulton Sheen has done so beautifully. He's brought Jesus to the people And of course, he's brought the people to Jesus. And so hopefully, you've come a little bit closer to Jesus today by listening to our broadcast. Uh, Please share the word with everyone. And again, you'll find us at uh, bishopsheentoday.com, our website. Uh, We have our charity book program that has been doing very well. Uh, People uh, give us a donation, and we in turn uh, send them a book in gratitude for their donation. So uh, you can find out more on our website bishopsheentoday.com. My dear friends, may you all have a blessed week, and until the next time that we meet, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.